0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is CEO Peter Strong. Peter is a purely entrepreneurial business executive with more than 30 years of leadership experience in the food and beverage industry. He has a proven track record, including several major beverage industry success stories, with Peter influencing and impacting every step along the way from the launch to maturity. Peter has worked for some great names in the industry, including PepsiCo, Snapple, Jones Soda, and Red Bull before becoming the CEO and founder of Drink King Distributing Company. Peter has his BS in marketing and information decision sciences from Fordham University and his MBA in marketing and management from Wagner College. Peter Strom, welcome into the corner office. Nice to be here. Thank you very much, Peter. We like to get started a little bit about your early years, and maybe you can tell us a bit about where you grew up and you know what your family life was like.
1: Yeah, well, I was born in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and and raised in Staten Island. Um, you know, family life was uh, was pretty busy. I had uh, you know four siblings and. Uh, pretty uh pretty big household seven people in there all doing wow. different things and, where, and uh, where did
0: you stack in the in the pecking order were you uh, right uh, right in
1: the middle right I in the middle was, okay. yeah <laughs> it was right right in the middle of it so had an older brother older <laughs> sister and a younger brother younger sister and uh, a lot of sports and and um, you know school and everything took a uh, big present, and you know in our house and religious family so sundays were spent the, at church early on and and the rest of the day was was uh, baseball and family dinners. so was Tell a, me uh, about was
0: your a, parents. Mom sounds like she was probably stay at home with that many kids.
1: Yeah, mom was a stay at home and um, very active in the school. So you know, if you uh, you, know, you did anything wrong at school, mom was usually in the either PTA or she was <laughs> she uh, knew about it. Doing something, she she was very well connected. So um, with with five children in in uh, different schools at, at one time, you know, she was very busy and and uh, and kept us moving. You know, it was an era also that uh, you know when you had practices and all of that, we used to you know, jump on our bikes and go. And, and the, uh, you know, there were no cell phones. You got home when the, the light went on. So, you know, it, it was one of those things where we were, you know, we, we did our thing. She was the kind of the you know the the monitor of all that, and and Dad worked uh, all day and came home and then jumped into the coaching ranks as soon as he got home. So we were. Was
0: Dad a professional? Did he did he work as a laborer? What what was uh, his, Dad worked uh, for the Pack- New York
1: Post, and he was a uh, actually a machinist, and and eventually was did all the layout of the uh, of the paper itself. So you know they used to do it with uh, first with big printing presses, and then they ended up going towards computers that laid everything out. So. He uh, he reinvented himself several different times over the course of his life, and you know became really probably more of a computer guy than anything. Um, what were
0: some of the influences of your parents? If you had to name a couple of things that you know you would say are are lasting memories in terms of the things that you remember from there uh, from growing up?
1: Yeah, I mean the, the biggest thing for all of us is kind of is kind of three things. My dad really you know w- w- was pressing all the time was hard work. He always felt that you had. Your work ethic that was going to be you know primary to how successful you were um honesty and integrity were a huge you know part of his character um so even when it could hurt you you know meaning that you know hey you might have done something wrong and get in trouble for it you had to come up and take accountability um, which realistically in the business world for all of us, we've always done that. You know, if we, we put, our, put our neck out there you know, um, and made a mistake, we, we kind of took accountability for it and went on from there. Obviously, we're successful because you make less mistakes than, than, than have successes. But uh, you know, I, I think a successful part of anybody's uh, you know, business career is to, to take advantage of the fact that they can be wrong sometimes mm-hmm. and that they can learn from it and take accountability for it. And, um, and, and that's what drove my dad and my mom. I mean, my mom was the same way. It was always honesty was the foremost you know, authority. And then at the last piece, it's really spirituality. I mean, the, both of them were very strong um, religiously. You know, they, they, uh, we all believe in God and, and, and uh, believe that we, uh, you know, we basically, uh, you know, we're, we're judged at a different level than just what you deal with here. That whole uh, work ethic, you know, spirituality, the honesty part is is kind of driven all five of the you know siblings. So it's a very huge influence. The other part for me is I had a grandma at my mom's side of the family that was very uh, very strong-willed and and uh, very spiritual in her own right. And uh, you know, she uh, she was a big influence on me in in staying with the faith and and uh, and really you know, driving myself to, uh, to be better, you know, each day, you know, she yeah. was another still, big still in active
0: in the Catholic church today.
1: I am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I went to, uh, you know, went to Farrell high school, which was a, you know, a Catholic high school. I went to Fordham university. I mean, I've pretty much grown, uh, you know, through, throughout my life, I've, I've leaned, you know, to the church for strength.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more. I'm interested to hear how that's impacted your, your, uh, business life as well. Were you a good student in school?
1: Yeah, it was pretty good. You know, I was more, uh, more a B plus student by, uh, you know, by foundation, but I, I got A's because I worked, uh, worked my butt off for them. You know, um, my two sisters were a little different. They, they, they seemed to get those A's a little easier. The boys seemed to have to, to push for them, you know, more
0: distractions. Right? Yeah.
1: But, uh, <laughs> you know, but we were all the athletic side too. So all three, all three boys played a lot of, a lot of sports and everything. And, uh,
0: what were some of your favorite sports?
1: Uh, baseball was the biggest one. Um, I actually played that in college uh, eventually. Oh, you okay. And, yeah, at um, Fordham. Yeah. At Fordham university, I was a catcher and, uh, I played quarterback in high school for a while and, and, uh, and basketball a lot, but, uh, baseball is probably the driving, uh, the driving force on the athletic side.
0: Any other extracurriculars, things like music or theater, other things that you were involved in student government?
1: you know a student government yes actually I was the president of my uh, my intermediate school uh, IS 24 way back when and got into a lot more government stuff in in uh, both high school and college, but uh, I would always want to say music, but, but I'm I'm really a, one of the worst singers you probably ever will come across. <laughs> you know, it's that Brooklyn
0: I, I, accent, Peter. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I,
1: I, I play I played that I played the trombone out in in uh, my sixth to eighth grade years until I became a football player. Then you couldn't do both. You couldn't play in the halftime and, and be in there getting instruction. So. But I, I enjoy, you know, trying to play instruments and everything, and <laughs> it's just more of a hobby on that end. I'm, uh, my wife always tells me I'm tone deaf, so I can't really ever succeed <laughs> at it. But it's uh, it's definitely something I I love to do. But the the thing right now that I that I really drives me um, outside of work is coaching. I coach youth sports. Uh, I coached my kids as they were growing up, and 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 really put a lot of time and effort uh, on my time off into doing that. You know. And, uh, and now it's just one where, you know, I don't have any one of my kids playing in, uh, in the sports, but I'm, I'm coaching a lot of other people's kids. and, and uh, well, you've got to grandkids
0: give. now, too. I think you mentioned the last one, time yes, we I got one, yes, I got one. Right, right. Little, so those will be uh, in the sports scene soon. Uh, talking about sports, and, you know, you mentioned your grandmother as an influencer. You know, were there coaches or other people that you were involved with uh, growing up that also were strong influencers in your life? And, and if so, who were they and what types of things did you learn from them?
1: Yeah, I mean, the first one that actually influenced my life was a, a Little League coach, uh, Mr. Larry Kidd. Was um, an ironical, my son and I were just talking about him. It was one of those guys where, um, you know, I was a shy kid, um, had a lot of talent, and, and I wasn't really pressing hard. And it's one of us around ten, eleven, twelve years old, and you know, around eleven years old, I was getting very frustrated with the sport, you know, baseball. And he was very, he was pressing me at every time, every turn, and and i you know uh, i was almost ready to give it up you know that, that's how much he was pressing me and then one time i just went to my dad and said listen i don't think this guy likes me you know and i find out <laughs> later that you know the, the it was true yeah that was true my dad approached him and says he goes man that's a shame because i actually love him you know he goes he's got a lot in him but he's not bringing it out and he sat with me at one point and said listen he goes, you may not like me in the long run. He goes, but you know, I really feel that if I go and press you hard, you're going to come become something that you really want to be. And and that's my job. So my job is to get out of you what you don't think you have in you. And once it comes out, you know, it can flourish and, 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 and I'd be happy for that. I'd be prideful of that. And, and sure enough, that's what he did. My, my, my 12 year old year was a tr- turnaround year for me. I, I became almost dominant you know to the to the age group that I was in and uh and and this guy was the reason why and and it really you know it was the same time about a year later where I'm going for the you know to be a president of my uh my intermediate school you had to do six different you know uh assemblies where you had to speak at them and answer questions and again for a shy kid it all came from really understanding my athletic ability and then saying you know what I got a lot more to to offer I got you know I can speak I can I can you know, rationalize, I can logic, I can, I can connect with people. Um, I learned all that in that 12 to 13 range, which is kind of odd. Most people at that point are just really looking at riding their bikes and, you know, skipping stones. And, you know, I was starting to learn how to, how to present, you know, I mean, for the first time I was presented in front of a large group of kids and, and, uh, and, you know, kids are not the, not very easy on the, on the speaker, you know, they'll heckle and do whatever they want to do or and then when they like what they like they'll they'll cheer it you know so uh it was all that one that one guy you know that decided besides my parents but it was something that you know the unfortunate part is i also you know around 13 he unfortunately when i was going back to go see him um which is what was a tradition like most of the kids who got off his team would come back and help with the younger kids and uh and he ended up passing away so it was, yeah, very suddenly. Wow, well, how, so, how but,
0: nice that you remember his legacy and his name, right? Yeah, and the lessons yeah. learned from it. Yeah. You know, those many,
1: are... many years later, I'm a, I'm a little more, you know, a lot l- lot farther away from 12 years old than I want to <laughs> <laughs> remember. But you remember yeah. those lessons,
0: don't you? I you do, know, and, I do. And emulate know. some of them, I'm sure, with some of your charges.
1: But, you know, when, I was also very lucky that I had a lot of teachers that were, you know, anywhere from when my grammar school right up to high school to college that, you know, always, you know, they saw my, my work ethic. They saw my drive and they saw my inquisitive nature to, to, to talk to them and try to learn more than just what's on the book, you know? And, um, and, and, and they liked that and they really took a liking to me, most people. And and I I would end up, um, getting extra time with them. And, and like I said, when you're a a B, B plus student by nature and you got to get that a, you know, connecting with the teacher and getting the extra help is something you need. and, And I, and I always went and and got it. And they were very, very helpful. So, so I know a lot of people don't get the same experience, but I, I've gotten many, I mean, it's too many me even to name uh, teachers that were always, you know, really pressing hard to make sure I got the most out of myself, which um, it, it's probably the schools that I picked, you know, I mean, Fordham university and, and Farrell high school were just two very strong, you know, willed schools in their own right, you know, and, uh, and I, I'm glad I picked them, you know, because they did those schools themselves influenced who I am.
0: What about, uh, entrepreneurial things? Were you doing any of those as a kid? Uh, and if so, what, Peter?
1: Yeah, actually, I mean, I started off, uh, you know, obviously was one of those kids that liked the lemonade stand. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> right. I, I did that and, and, um, you know, but I ran my own, my own paper route, um. In between, you know, I'd practice sports and everything, and I'd be jumping out to either early in the morning delivering papers or later on in the day, depending on which paper it was. So I grew, um, I had probably one of the largest paper routes on Staten Island, and, and it spanned, uh, you, know, f- you know, many blocks. So, um, you know, had several hundred, you know, houses that I had to deal with. So I would, I'd cart things, you know, and, and really do it by foot, and not, I wouldn't be able to do it by, um, you know, by bike. And, uh, it was one, you Community know, it was papers. a lot of carrying and a lot of, you know, and, and also connected, you know, I. It was weird. I, I like to connect with the, the customer at that point in time too. Because well, those were the you, days
0: when you had to go door to door and collect your subscription money, right? Yeah, right. Sure. So right, you know, great you're, great you're service experience, and
1: you're working for tips. You know, <laughs> that's, <you're>, right. that's <laughs> right.
0: Particularly those Christmas tips. <laughs> so making sure, you
1: know, I had a good arm, but I wanted to make sure instead of throwing the paper, it got in the mailbox. You know, and right, uh, right. and especially on those rainy days, you know, it was one of those things where people really appreciated it. And, um, and I did that through high school. I mean, I, I, I worked some jobs during the summer where, um, I worked construction. I, I worked there with a pool company. I, I did many different things and, uh, more of on the physical labor side. But, uh, anytime I got an opportunity, I'd ask them for, for chances to sell. You know, I, I, wanted to learn how to, to really hone in that skill. And, and, um, it was one that took a while. You know, when you're in your 16, 17, 18 year old time frame, and you're trying to, you know, you know, sell to somebody anything, whether it be a pool, whether it be a service or anything else, it's not an easy thing for a young kid to do. And especially when you're dealing with most adults, you know, uh, who, who wanted, who want a deal, you know, as right, well, exactly. you know, right, everybody's right. looking for a deal and they didn't treat you any different, but <laughs> that's right. You know, it was. <laughs> they, it, well, in
0: fact, if anything, they probably were harder on you. They wanted to teach yeah, you a few things, yeah. <laughs> but it was, uh,
1: you know, it was, it was really, uh, you know, uh, a lot of fun to, to do. And I took it as more of a, a challenge and, uh, you know, when you failed, it wasn't really as devastating, you know, because you were just learning, you know, and, and, uh, and I think that carried over into my adult years when a lot of times, I mean, when I did a lot of sales out there for years and you you got more rejection sometimes than, than positives, you know, <laughs> that's true. So, you know, you got to learn to deal with it. I mean, I try to tell people all the time, I said, you know, it's, it's basically the beverage, food and beverage industry is almost more of a, you know, an industry of rejection, you know, um, than it is of successes and the ones that are successful, the ones that kind of just continue to push on, you're going to have a good day. You know, the better part is when you're having those great days, you just keep riding them. You know, you stay out as late as you want. You know, uh, and that's where a lot of people mistake when you're on a hot streak, it's like a batter in baseball, if, you know, you're hitting the ball one day, you know, you want to make sure you get as many at bats as you can that day, you know, the <laughs> days that, that you're not going on. so well, you want the game to end, you know, <laughs> that's right.
0: The day to start over. <laughs> Was it a foregone conclusion that you'd go to college? It sounds like, uh, th- th- dad didn't go, correct? Was that, or did dad he have did a degree? Dad did not,
1: you know, dad actually didn't even finish high school. And, got it. uh, yeah, and mom, was... mom did, I mean, she barely, barely did on that end. I mean, my, my mom and dad, you know, they, they were born towards the, the my mom was right in the beginning of the great depression and my depression, dad crunch, it was a little sure. after and, you know, there was a lot different, uh, decisions different they had time. to make as children in the, when they got into the forties and the 1950s, I mean, they had to do a lot more things, uh, and, um, you know, my dad was a military guy, went to, uh, my mom and him actually went out to Italy for, for several years during the Korean war. And, uh, my older sister was born out there. She was actually, a an Italian, uh, she could have been a dual citizen, but chose the uh, United States around when she was 21 years old, but she was born out in Verona and they had a pretty, uh, you know, crazy life and, uh, you know, uh, with the, with the war and everything else and, and, uh, service into you know, his country and then coming back and then, right away having a second and third kid almost immediately and um you know something that they did before many uh if you know the area brooklyn you know is the big city part of it but then staten island was the country and my dad, for the opportunity to get a home, you know, he moved, he moved his kids to Staten Island. And at that point, there was no bridge. You know, there was ferry systems only coming out of here. So it was a definite harder lifestyle, you know, to, to deal with working in, in Manhattan. More um, isolated, when yeah. You, when you're dealing yeah. with Staten Island until the bridge got up. So, again, it, they, you know, they always, uh, you know, the, the college part of it was something where my dad said, hey, you know, you got to do better than me. Watch you, you know, my, step up. Right, and my older sister and older brother didn't choose that route. You know, they went right to work, and uh, you know, with myself, I, I think if it, I mean, baseball played a part in it because I had a lot of teams at that time recruiting me to play, and um, you know, I, Fordham was one of the of the many that I was going towards, and and ironically, my uh, father Gannon, which was a very close friend of my family's and my guidance counselor in high school, was a baseball player in the fifties for Fordham. And, um, I think I would have to say he had a little influence on me going there because he felt that I'd be close to home, uh, still be away, you know, cause it wasn't, uh, the with baseball and everything. I'd still wouldn't be, you know, home every day. I would be living there and, um, but then still be around my family and still be able, cause it, being the first one at college, the first thing that happens is mom and dad, uh, get a little depressed when they don't have yeah, around sure, anymore. Sure. One,
0: one's out of the, out of the house, out of the coop. Yeah, was no,
1: no cell phones or any of that kind of stuff, and and so you had to call on a pay phone and and uh, you know, so they weren't as connected. But uh, you know, being where I could take a train and right. and, it wasn't and ferry too home away. and stuff, you know, I I was able to do that once in a while and made them made them happy. So, what did you what, what Yeah, what did you study in college? Um, actually, I, I started out as a computer science major. They called it information decision sciences. I did that for a couple of years. When when um, when I first got into the, into college that that was the big deal computers were starting to come up big this was early 80s and you know the money was there to be a programmer and and to, to work in that field I, I quickly found that i really wasn't that suited for sitting at a desk and programming and uh around my sophomore year i started getting into the marketing side and um i said you know what i i really enjoyed the sales and marketing piece so i actually had a dual major i came out of fordham with a a marketing degree and a uh and a, and a computer science degree. And, and when I was playing four years of college baseball and, and hauling down a dual degree, it was, it was a pretty, uh, huge task, but, uh, you know, I take an extra class every, every semester and, and, uh, and still ended up with that, you know, that B, B plus average, that's where I was at. But, um, it was one of those things where, um, you know, I, I just wanted to go and, and, and kind of get a more worldly view of and, and have more than one option, so marketing became the second option. What was that first job, that first full-time job you took out of college? I, I actually uh, I put the two things together, and I sold computer services for ADP. I did that for about a year before uh, hitting the, the beverage industry at Pepsi-Cola. Do you
0: remember the first time you started managing people, Peter?
1: Uh, yeah, actually, it was, um, you know— I ma- it, it's it's kind of a two part question because at ADP I managed the technical support team that was with me because when we did sales stuff it, it, the more technical stuff we had to back up um so I managed their their time and some of their tasks but I would really say it wasn't until I got into uh, my second tier of jobs at at Pepsi Cola when um I had to manage uh, routes and 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 different uh you know the people that ran the routes whether it be drivers or uh sales you know, sales leadership salesmen yeah so you had to get through um it wasn't it wasn't easy because i was also younger than most of the guys i was managing um so it was my first thing was really to you know to get into their heads and understand what how they think because when you get a you know at that time this is like uh, 1985 you know into the late 80s where i was at pepsi and um You know there was definitely two different generations that were at work there you know there's the new up-and-coming generation of guys like myself that have already started getting into the computer and did the business and reporting was kind of second nature to us so and you know then there's a whole bunch of guys that came from the vietnam area and and earlier on that you know didn't really you know they were salesmen and not much else you know the, the the reporting the detail all that stuff was more annoyance to them and um they had to learn all that stuff so they you know way back when there wasn't a lot of detail you know to the sale you either made it or you didn't right, you know right. w- in, in our area you know um i i was very lucky i got a chance to work for a man called harold honickman which was one of the most I- biggest icons and, and still is in our industry and and uh, you know he was really into understanding and analyzing you know the the business itself. So each route, you know, understanding what what the the pros and cons of the route are, and and where where we can go, and and really look for more sales, and how we how do we go and show, you know, uh, you know sophistication to the calls. You would walk in with a nice portfolio of information as to you know what brands are moving faster for them. What is, you know, how can they get displays that are going to be more active for them? These are all things that most people you know, they, they kind of pressed, but didn't really delve into why, you know, and he was the first one that really, really did that. And I got a great opportunity to, uh, to learn from that. It was just a very, you know, for a big business that it was, it was very well connected as a family unit. Um, so early on, you know, your managers and everybody were almost like your, uh, your work dads at the time, you know, they, they were, they were delving into a lot more than just your, uh, your work ethic and, and, and with the time you're at work, they, they, they got involved in, in having conversations, if you wanted to, about your family life and your personal ambitions and all that, because they felt if they knew that stuff, that they could steer you in the right direction on what job the next job level would be for you.
0: Tell me about some of those uh, early leadership lessons from some of those bosses and mentors.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the biggest lesson you know, that, that first came out is the attention to detail on you know, what to you know, inspect what you expect. You know so what they what you want to do is you want to make sure that you're you've got expectations that are out there in the trade but you're going to have to go out and look at them you know you got to go out and connect and and that's even you know even with the social media life of today i mean uh, i find the most successes is when i go out in the trade and actually still watch people bricks and mortar work going out there you know how am i going to go and talk to a buyer about any kind of uh, you know new program or anything, if I'm not sure what the mechanisms are going on in the store, you know how are they placing it on the on the floor now? You know how how are the displays going up? How, what's the competition like to get those additional placements? You know if I don't know that and see that, um, I can't go and, and and put a you know a more sophisticated program together to take advantage of, of, of what they need. You know I need to understand it. So those were lessons that were really embedded in me from the Pepsi system. Is you know you got to learn. You know, what the consumer and what the customer wants. So, your client is the, is the store in this case, or the buyer, but really, what did their end user want? You know, because if you don't understand any of that, you really can't put a proper program together. You know, and, and then the, the other piece to that is, is do you understand the economics of all of it? Um, you know, when I was at the Snapple side of it, the, the biggest part of their difference than anybody else is they always saw the economic pieces of pie. So the customer gets something, the store gets something, the distributor gets something, and the owner of the brand gets something. And we got a share in that. And the ones that did the 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 best, the most successful, like the Snapple brand, you know, understood that that everybody had to get a a win. Um, Other brands that I saw that that didn't work as well um, were the ones that said, you know, what I'm going to take most of the pie for myself and let everybody kind of fight for it, you know, fight for that extra, you know, extra money and and that didn't work in the short term it might have it might have made you a few more dollars but in the long term you know it really kind of hurt your brand because there was no real loyalty to the to the brand well
0: what's kind of the worst lesson you've learned from previous bosses uh,
1: you know it it, it it it's kind of a little wide uh, range of that because i've learned um, i try tried to go and pick and part the characteristics parts of some of the leaders that i was with um not to micromanage too much. You know, that's one of the first things, you know, less you micromanage. You know, there's a time and place to micromanage. And, and when I see it is when there's a learning opportunity where there's a new manager or there's an, a, a manager that's been around a while that, that's kind of set in their ways and, and you, can, you can work with them to try to find a new way to do something. Or for, for the younger people, the initial way to do something. You know, how do you set their foundation of how they approach a plan? You know, um, so, so often... You know, when you're micromanaging, you're really kind of looking at negatives, and that's uh, what I guess where most micromanagers say we're doing this wrong, we're doing that wrong, we're doing this wrong. Instead of just saying, you know what? Here's what you're doing right. You know, you got this piece to it uh, is really working well. Now, how do we build off that? You know, and that's where you know when you when you when you're kind of micromanaging, it's 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 not helping the problem solve as much. It's really just showing the problem and, and that's where i've learned from a lot of the, the you know the negative results that some of the managers had out there that um you got to let people thrive a little bit you got to let people you got to let people make mistakes you got to let you know and you got to then teach them from that um you know i l- also learned from the, the the good influencers that you know if you're not failing you're not trying
0: you know <laughs> that's so, right that's right Failure's you know, part and, of the and, equation
1: yeah and the other, the other is another the negative part too, on some of the people that were unsuccessful or or weaker managers, I would say, because most of them were successful in some way, or they wouldn't have got up to that point. But um, you know, when you when you when you, you think you know it all, you know, you 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 feel that you know this is the way it worked for me, and it's going to work that way for you, you know, and so you, you're pressing what worked for you on to someone else, and. You know, I'll give you a, a great um, example. Is, is Is the Red Bull world that I was in was very, very highly successful and still is. It's a, one of the the best marketing machines that I've ever been involved with. You know, the ideas that come out of it—they're very innovative, and and uh, they're constantly recreating themselves in, in a world that is very difficult to do, especially when you're in the number one position in most markets. But, you know, it, it too often that people leave that environment and they think that well they work for red bull that's just going to work you know it's just going to work here and they bring all these red bull ideals and they bring it out to another brand and it just dies you know the brand fails and and i've seen that so often so much of my you know my my counterparts in the in, you know that have left red bull as i did you know they find themselves in difficult situations because they try to fit what they knew from red bull into a spot that it just didn't work and every brand and every you know business you go into is going to have some things that work that you know in the past and other things you're going to have to learn to adjust to that's going to maximize that brand's culture and that brand's ability to succeed and that's where i i've learned that that from the negative people you know the the from the the weaker leaders that you know what if you stay strong to what you believe only and you don't go and, ha- and you have those blinders on you Virtually going to fail eventually, you know. You 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 almost have to because you're you're trying to fit a you know a square peg in a round hole, and it just don't work.
0: Peter, you've worked for some great companies, uh, obviously early on uh, EDP, you, you or ADP rather. You uh, worked for Pepsi, Red Bull, and of course now with your own company. How would you say your leadership style has evolved over time?
1: And realistically, it's 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 all the experience load that comes with all that. You know, as you as a leader, I, I kind of wish I would be the guy i am today uh when i was the ceo of, of snapple you know distribution court way back when you know um because there was you know just knowing the knowledge base that i have and the understanding of different circumstances could have taught a lot more people a lot better than i did I, and i thought i was a really really good teacher back then i, I really thought i was engaged and and I was probably, you know, in relation to other peers, I was, which is what made me able to go on and, and do bigger and better things. But, you know, what I realize now is that, um, you know, youth is wasted a little bit on the young, as they say, you know, <laughs> That's you, so you true. Know, all, you know, I, I never thought I'd ever utter those words. My dad used <laughs> to say them all the time, but, you know, I understand what he means now, you know, now that, you know, I, I'm in, you know, uh, my fifties and, and I've been, at this for over 30 years, you know, and, and I really, I understand, um, that the experience level itself has made me a different leader. It's made me a, a lot more, you know, um, thoughtful and compassionate. Um, it's made me a lot more understanding of when problems come up as to why they do. Um, it, it also allows me to give many alternatives to individuals instead of, you know, just one, you know, and, and, and in today's day and age with a lot of millennials out there, um, they learn differently. You know, they learn by example in a lot of ways. They, they also have a, a quality about them where, you know, um, you know, they want something more than just the daily grind of the job, which everybody sees as a negative in a lot of ways, um, entitled or whatever you want to call it. But you know what? I see it as a different scenario. They, they're actually a step ahead of where we were, where they don't just you know, work for a company for 30 years for the sake of doing it, you know? Um, and, and, they're not just about the paycheck, even though they want a good one, but they're not just about that. They're about a lot of other things. And I think that's my leadership style is now it's all about a lot of other things than just the bottom line.
0: Tell us a little bit about uh, drink King. Um, uh, I know you founded the company, uh, how, how long has it been in existence and how many employees?
1: Yeah, six years. And, uh, we've got about 90 employees right now. Congratulations. And, um, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's. Really was born out of necessity. I I had actually created my own brand called Entegré, uh, which was which was a um, you know an all natural uh, sports drink that was going to compete with the Gatorade, um, you know positioning out there Powerade and, and a better for you kind of drink. And you know when I was looking at the New York market in particular, New York New Jersey market, I you know, brands have to get, um, there's a lot of time and effort. People, you know, look, look at these brands and think that it it happened overnight. And I'll, I'll give you a great phrase from the, uh, Lenny Marsh, the, one of the owners of Snapple, which said it took him 14 years to become an overnight success. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I just just love, I love that because it's so, it's so true. You know, it was so much hard work and, and, and really a uh, constant grind on, on any, you know, with any brand that you dealing with, especially when you're trying to you know, kind of change people's way of thinking. And I needed to have a distribution network that was going to be out there you know, kind of massaging the, the account and working it because the sales weren't going to be there initially. And you were going to have to keep the, the account engaged and positioning the brand right. So uh, we decided to do it on our own. You know, and, and we created this uh, drinking company six years ago and said look we're gonna we're gonna distribute our own brand uh ironically as soon as i i you know kind of put the uh, shingle up you know uh brands uh we had a great brand which is one of the more you know uh, best brands out there right now in sparkling ice that came to us and said hey look you know we need help we need help out there you know
0: uh, that's amazing you know,
1: And it was really a a great match. I mean, um, I would have to say, I mean, they are one of the uh, more fantastic suppliers. If you can emulate a supplier, you know, I would always point to, you know, Sparkle and Ice, the Talking Rain crew, that, you know, they've been always, uh, you know, very supportive uh, to me as a distributor. And, you know, when we first started this, I mean, them getting, you know, helped me get vendor ID numbers from chain stores that nobody else would give me, you know, because I had this fast moving good. And, um, and I feel like I, you know, I think they feel like i reciprocated with the hard work and effort to grow the brand and, and eventually help them, you know, gain their distribution, which is so solidly out there now in the U S but we helped them do the Northeast. And, you know, so it, it became now all of a sudden I'm on this drinking company and the brand started to fade a little bit and get out of my focus lane and, and the distribution company quickly became the one that, um, that really was needed. The driver. There, yeah. You know? Yeah. Interesting. And, uh, So now where I probably would have told you when I first started, I was such a supplier guy for a while with Red Bull and, you know, VP there and, and Snapple and everything else before drinking. Was all supplier orientated, and, and once I, you know, and then all, and and you know, like I said, once like you said you're always trying to get out, and it, it drag you back in, you know, like the, <laughs> the old Godfather saying, you know, but that that's really what it's like. I, I'm I'm a you know a distributor. Now you're a distributor, yeah. You know, yeah, I'm am a distributor at heart in a lot of ways, but now I have such a huge amount of supplier experience that I believe it's also made me a better distributor because we 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 become more than just a uh, you know distribution partner. We're actually a strategic partner. You know, we, we, I, I got a wealth of knowledge that I can pass on to, um, you know, to, to to brands and some brands have taken that opportunity and almost get a free consultant and, you know, added into the distribution network, but others have not, you know, and unfortunately when they have not later on, they find out that that Pete Strom knew what the hell he was talking about. (laughs) 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 Share with me
0: your thoughts about building a company culture, particularly a drink king.
1: Yeah, you know, it's um, it's a lot harder on the distribution side because you got a lot more, um, you know, bricks and mortar stuff going on in a different style of individual. They're very, you know, more rugged and having to take the rejection part. Like I said, it's, it's a you know, whole lifestyle of rejection when you're out there selling, especially <laughs> right. when you have to bring cases and do it on a truck. You know, it's a, a different dynamic. And um, to build it, it really has to be by your, being a role model. You know, I mean, I, I try... Uh, the hardest thing. And we are still creating, by the way, in six years, we're still creating the culture here because there are, there are turnover that happens very early. We're, we're finally stabilized and a lot of the, you know, the, the, the people that are at the lower levels of our, our business, which turned over quicker when you were, were brand new getting started. Um, yeah, yeah. and some of the managers have been here now for the six years that, that, you know, that stability, you know, so creating that culture is the stability of management the, the role model and their leadership person, which is me, is, you know, they, we wanted to create a family, you know, style business where there's, this flexibility, you know, similar to what I saw at the Pepsi level when I was there and, and, and the Snapple company and even Red Bull at its earliest stages were very family oriented you know, there were flexibility. We put a lot of hours in, you know, so for instance, if I got a, you know, someone who wants to really badly see that play that the child is in you know they got a you know fourth grader that's in a play at 10 in the morning on a on a thursday that's very hard for somebody you know that's working at you know four five thirty in the morning till you know late in the afternoon to get to see that unless there's a supportive company behind them and uh and we And we encourage it, you know, we want people. I was a coach, I want people to coach, I want people connecting to their children. I want the children you know to to you know respect their dad and their mom for more than just what they 're doing in the job. That was something my mom and dad instilled to in me that Life, you know, nobody, you know, at, at the very end, and, you know, my dad has passed, uh, you know, uh, about a decade ago now. And the one thing he said right before that is like, you know, uh, I, I don't wish I worked more. Um, I wish I would have <laughs> yeah, spent more time right. with, more you, time you
0: with the family.
1: And that's what he always preached. And that's what we try to say here. Look, you know, I had a boss, um, uh, Carl Gilman at Snapple, that said one time, he goes, look, I'm going to be the guy that's trying to pull you from your family. And you're the person that needs to stay with them. You know, and what he meant by that, I never really got it. Early, I'm thinking like, well, if you know you're doing that, why don't you <laughs> why stop? You keep doing you know? it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what he meant was, is look, now i my is up business, to you. Yeah, I got the business. You know, I have to really drive the business, and you're part of that key cog in that. So I'm going to want to have you here as much as I can. But you know, the real importance is as a person for you to be connected with your family and be happy, because all this you're doing is for them. And uh, and those are the kind of things that you know, as a culture here, that I just remember and. And, and want to instill is that, you know, I want the family unit to be important. Um, I want them to have that kind of drive. But in the same token, if I do all that for you, I think that your loyalty to me is going to be strong. So there's a business aspect to that, you know, where I'm going to, you know, when I need you, you're going to be here. You know,
0: We talked about this a little earlier, and maybe you can just, uh, you know, shine some light on the culture. You know, the importance of your faith and you know, your spiritual transition. How does that play out at Drink King?
1: Um, you know, it, it's um, it's more or less on that conscience basis. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. when when you're dealing with with um, decisions as a CEO, a lot of them become very clinical. You know, you're, you're looking at uh, dollars and cents, and you know, as you're in a growing company, um, you know, it's hard to 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 not look beyond the, the bottom line and say, look, you know, the bottom line is obviously what's going to, you know, if we don't have a bottom line and you don't make money, you're not going to be able to pay anybody's salary, you know. So that is important, but to get there, you know, sometimes may take a little longer than you want it to. And the reason why is because in order to create that culture, you know, you gotta have a, a, a sense of, you know, of belonging, you know? So um, my my spirituality basically shows that, hey, you know what? There are human beings here that, that you know, have needs and wants and, and they, uh, you know, you have the social awareness to a lot of things that you're doing. It's a completely different scenario than when, when we were first growing up in the business, you know? Um, you know, giving back to the community and making sure that the business is you know um, you know economically and 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 you know community-wise sustainable. You know, you want to make sure that you're you know you're you're not contributing to pollution and everything else. I mean, there's a lot of different things that go involved into your decision making um, while trying to balance the bottom line. So you know that that's uh, the spirituality part of it is is that again I'm I'm judged off of a. A far different judge than just a uh, man, you know. So um, I believe that I I can look myself in the mirror every single night and know that my effort was true and and honest, and and uh, I, that drives me. And I look on a, on a Sunday morning when I'm in church that most of the time I spend just you know praying for the patience and praying for the uh, the understanding of of trying to keep an open mind. I mean, those are the things that on a spiritual side um, I try to you know make sure that uh, you know God instills in me every week to remind myself to be patient with people um the older i get that could be harder you know <laughs> yes indeed <laughs> so you so i pray a little harder every sunday <laughs> right.
0: one more hail mary uh, one more. i love it uh you've been very generous with your time peter but we do have a couple other questions so want to talk a little bit about interviewing what, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in
1: what i like to know is really you know what when when i'm looking at somebody. Um, you know what what's their best and worst day you know when i'm looking at tr- trying to find out what they are and 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 how i i get into the interview process i i want to know a little bit about their background i want to know what makes them tick and i want to n- know what they think their best and worst attributes are you know their best characteristics and usually i'll ask them you know hey what what you know what do you think was the most successful day you had you know what was the most uh you know what's the most successful job you feel that you've ever done and it's a task you know not really the job itself because some jobs spend many years so um i like to more a more precise this is where the micromanaging piece comes in is let's get down to a nitty-gritty of, of strong detail and you know what 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 was your worst day you know and how did you handle that you know i always feel it's not the it's not the loss you know when you when you have a loss and when you you uh, make a mistake. It's not that that defines you, but it's how you reacted to it. You know, did you did you kind of turtle and and, and and introvert and not not attack it? You know, did you uh, blame others? You know, I mean, a lot of times you're not going to get that into an interview, but you, what you will get into an interview, you get a an insight as to what they think um, you know is a bad day, what they think is is you know lack of accountability or something else. You'll get a nice tidbit out of that to find out what makes uh, something important and not important to that individual. And uh, and once you get that that dynamic, and you can uh, you can understand what they think is success and failure, um, you can start to grow from the work ethic. You got to see what kind of individual they're going to be, and and loyalty to the business. And it takes a lot more questions than just a couple of those, but y- you're progressing to a point where what I really want to know is is, to, is that person here to answer the bell every morning? Um, you know, I'm in a business that you got to be here. You know, you got to be here and. Um, is it important to them? You know, when they're when they're gonna. You know, everybody wants to go on a vacation at some point in time. But you know, with me, um, I, I, on a Friday before a vacation is probably my most busiest day because I want to make sure there's nothing really that's left hanging out there. I see a lot of other people. You know, when you ask them, you know, sometimes they'll just you know say, "Look, well, once I'm out of there, I'm out of there." You know, and and that's not the person you eventually want to have with you because you want somebody that's that's really making sure that the business can sustain itself for the week or so that they're away. And, uh, and you find that out just through those right questions. You know, where, where, where's their head at and, and what do they feel is, there, is important to them?
0: What career and life advice would you give to someone who's, you know, got their eyes on their own corner office or, or perhaps uh, like you, you know, has worked for larger companies like myself early in the career and then has gone on and found something on their own and, and wants to become an entrepreneur that runs their own company?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I'll give two things. And and one is, you know, be prepared to grind it out. You know, um, if you're going to get to that corner office, you didn't get there because of luck, you know, um, (laughs) that's so true. You know, you, you really, oh, it it, it helps, but it's not the only reason why you're going to get in there. And, and it's going to look, there's going to be bad days. You know, there's going to be really bad days out there that, uh, you're going to question why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, look, as an entrepreneur now at drinking, there were some days where, you know, I wasn't sleeping and going, wow, you know, what did I do? Why did I get involved in this? You know, there's a lot of money being put into it. A lot of, you know, you, you get a lot of time and effort and you you, you, you didn't feel like it was going to, you know, come to fruition and then you just keep grinding it out and it eventually gets there. So um, whatever you, whatever you think you want to be or whatever you think you, you want to accomplish, you're not going to do that overnight. You know, you're going to, you're going to do that over time. And the other thing is, is never think you can't do something. Um, that is the one thing I think when I, when I look at people who fail at, at whatever they set out to do is that they listen to somebody to tell them they can't do it. I mean, I cannot tell you how many people told me that drinking would never make it. And still till today. I mean, they're still telling me, oh, they'll fail. They'll fail because they're fighting you know, they're in a business where they're fighting Coke and Pepsi and, and big distributors. And that their brand portfolio is not exactly like the other guys and, and everything else. They just keep telling you that, you know. And, and if I listened to all of it, we would have closed the doors, <laughs> years you know, ago, probably. many years yeah. ago. And, and <laughs> you know, look, it, it may end up where one day you close a door, you know. But it wasn't going to be because you felt you couldn't do it. It was basically because it, the, the circumstances and that, that luck piece is, is not there you know, you get a couple of bad scenarios that come up that just, you know, create a, you know, a, a bad, you know, environment that you can't overcome. But um, honestly, I, I have never met that environment yet that I can't overcome. I mean, I guess that, so it, it never think you can't do something, never stop trying, keep grinding it out. And, and realistically, you know, you you should have on the final piece, I'll add a third in there is, is, you know, have a heart, you know, be in there where you, you, that spirituality, faith and, an understanding of who you are and who somebody else is, whether you're religious or you're not, you know, humanitarian, you know, tasks are, are there for everybody, no matter what you believe in. And, um, are your people you know, first? It's, well, it's, it's very, it, it's very fulfilling to uh, do something for somebody else, you know, create a job, you know, create something that is there. That's going to help a family. I, I help 90 families right now, And, um, if someday that the, the business closes, I know that for six years, them and many others, you know, made a living off of us. And, and that, that to me is probably the most prideful thing I take from it.
0: Peter Strom, thank you so much for your time uh, and sharing your journey into the corner office.
1: Thank you very much. It was fun